our duty to our customers, right, is affordable and reliable energy. And more and more now, customers need sustainable and cleaner energy. I think that's where all three of the things that we're involved in on this panel, that's to some extent what's driving that. We do have to be more and more customer-centric as utility providers. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dauenhauer. Today we're talking about three renewable energy ventures being developed by three of the country's most preeminent utilities. We recorded this episode for a panel I was hosting on renewable energy. That was the assignment I was given for this panel, talk about renewable energy. But getting my three guests to all come from the utility space brought this conversation into focus. For one, utilities are under pressure to go greener. This is why you've seen nearly all of them commit to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 or similar pledges. There's also a push to decentralize energy, so you might see more 10 megawatt solar farms and fewer 1,000 megawatt power plants. One of my panelists discusses how they are developing solutions for clients rather than selling them power power outright. This may include financing, permitting, building, interconnecting, owning, and operating an asset on a customer's property. In exchange, the customer pays the utility a fixed rate for several years. My panelist says it makes both sides happy. We've discussed these fixed rate and utility as a service business models back in episode 77. I was also fascinated with the strategic partnerships all three of my guest companies have made. While partnerships on big energy projects are nothing new, these projects themselves are new, whether it be renewable natural gas or offshore wind. Bringing in an experienced partner on new ventures like these are smart business. It's my guess that these partnerships, combined with the push for more renewable and distributed generation, result in even more power partnerships. My guests today are part of my panel, The Wide World of Renewable Energy, recorded for the PowerGen Plus virtual series. My panelists are, for offshore wind, Mike Osseri, Vice President Business Development for Eversource Energy. For solar, Sam Booth, Technology Development Director for Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions. And renewable natural gas, Ryan Childress, Director of Business Development for Dominion Energy, representing Align RNG. You may remember I recently covered offshore wind with Dominion Energy in episode 118, Eversource source is the other offshore wind developer with turbines in the Atlantic and many more to follow. It was great, therefore, to also get Dominion on this panel in this capacity to talk about their renewable natural gas effort, which I first discussed with another Dominion panelist way back in episode 65. And finally, Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions just formed at the end of April, so this was one of the first times that team has shared their plans for this group. The day before DESS was announced, I was speaking to some Duke folks who told me to keep an eye on LinkedIn. And sure enough, Duke Energy Sustainable Sustainable Solutions was announced the following day with a pretty splashy push. I hope you enjoy my panel on renewable energy. 
and how's everybody doing today? Thank you for joining us this afternoon. My name is Jay Dowenhauer, host of the Energy Cast podcast now in its fifth year. And when it came time to organize a panel on the wide world of renewable energy, I seriously had to ask what hasn't been said on the topic of renewable energy. So what's been interesting to me about renewables is that it's allowed a lot of smaller companies to get into the space from contracting EPC all the way to merchant generation. So the way into this panel, as I saw it, was to see how our nation's utilities are getting into the act. And these three utilities are going through some very different projects, but they have a few interesting things in common. They are listening to public desires. They're expanding into these renewable sectors, many for the first time. And they're also adding strategic partners, which we'll be discussing as well. So to begin, I'll introduce the three panelists. They'll give five minute presentations, and then we'll go straight to the questions for the rest of the panel. For Renewable Natural Gas, we have Ryan Childress, Director of Business Development for Dominion Energy, representing Align RNG Solar. That'll be Sam Booth. He's Technology Development Director for Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions. And for Offshore Wind, we have Michael Seri, Vice President of Business Development for Eversource Energy. And Mike, we'll start with you. How you doing? I'm very well, Jay. Thanks very much for hosting this event and for asking Eversource to be a part of this. I'm excited to be part of this. So let me start by giving you a quick overview of our partnership because Eversource is not embarking on offshore wind alone. We have a partner with a company named Ersted, and I'm sure many of you have heard of Ersted, but if not, Ersted is a Danish-based energy company that began developing offshore wind farms over 20 years ago, and they've grown into the world's largest offshore wind developer out there, and they began to expand into the United States about the same time that Eversource began to seriously look at offshore wind as a large-scale energy resource for New England. For those of you that don't know us, Eversource is a Boston and Hartford-based energy company. We're the largest energy company in New England. We deliver power, natural gas, and water to over 4 million customers in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Let me tell you a little bit about our partnership. Eversource and Ersted formed a 50-50 partnership in 2016 to deliver offshore wind into the Northeast. And together, we jointly own two lease areas in federal waters, about 20 miles south of Martha's Vineyard. And together, we estimate those two lease areas have the capacity to hold over 4,000 megawatts of offshore wind farms. To date, we have contracts in place for almost half that capacity. We have three projects that we are developing. There's Southwark Wind, Revolution Wind, and Sunrise Wind, and I'll quickly give you an overview of those projects. I'll start with Southwark Wind because that's the first wind farm we anticipate to place into service. It is a 132 megawatt project that will interconnect into the very eastern end of Long Island. We're in the final stages of permitting for that project, and we anticipate it going into service at the end of 2023. Our next project in the queue is Revolution Wind, and is a 704 megawatt project that will interconnect into Rhode Island, but it will serve both Connecticut and Rhode Island. 400 megawatts will serve Rhode Island, 304 megawatts will serve Connecticut. I would characterize it as it's in the middle of permitting, and we anticipate it being placed in the service in 2025. And then finally, our third project is Sunrise Wind. And Sunrise Wind was awarded to Eversource and Ersted as part of New York's first large-scale offshore wind RFP in 2019. It is a 924 megawatt project, so it is our largest project. It will interconnect further west into Long Island, and we are waiting for the federal government to actually officially commence the environmental review of this project. But based on the schedule that comes out, when they start that review, we anticipate this project also being placed into service in 2025. I thought 
just quickly, I would touch on two infrastructure initiatives that are related. So one of the projects is the redevelopment of a pier here in Connecticut. We're co-investing this to turn it into a wind turbine pre-assembly hub. And then the final initiative, and I thought of this because we have Dominion on the panel as well, is a charter agreement we recently entered into with Dominion. Dominion's in the midst of building the first ever U.S.-built offshore wind turbine installation vessel. This is significant because it'll also be the largest of its kind in its world. So we're very proud and excited to be partnered with Dominion on this. When the vessel is completed at the end of 2023, we, being Eversource and Erstead, will charter the vessel to install the wind turbines for Revolution Wind and Sunrise Wind. When those projects are complete, it will then sell to Virginia to work on Dominion's very large offshore wind project that will be in service, I believe, in, in the 2026 timeframe. So those are the slides I'd prefer. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. That was great. And one of the things that made me want to reach out to you was I had in one of my previous episodes with Dominion Energy got to go out and see the demonstration project they had. And they said, yeah, the other turbines in the Atlantic are owned by Orsted and Eversource. That's the other big project out there. So it's fun to your project as well. All right. We're now going into solar with Sam Booth, Technology Development Director, Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions. Hey, Sam, how you doing? Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with everybody and kind of sharing what we've been up to here at Duke. So I work for the unregulated part of Duke. Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions is a new brand created a couple months ago, bringing in together a couple older brands focused on utility scale solar, distributed solar, and resiliency projects. So I joined Duke from the old REC solar team. So I'll talk mostly about kind of our distributed renewables projects and offerings but the DES launch was really predicated by our customers asking for a larger and kind of more holistic solution. For those of you who don't know, Duke Energy's regulated utility covers parts of the Carolinas, Florida, Ohio, and Kentucky, but I'll focus on our unregulated solutions, which are kind of nationwide. A little background here, who are our customers? So we're looking at large commercial industrial projects for the most part, eight of the top 10 retailers, about a hundred plus schools and universities, state and local governments, agricultural food processors and producers. Most of our projects are in the one megawatt. Some of them are less, but a couple megawatts up to 32 megawatts, small front of the meter projects and large behind the meter projects. In addition to solar, we do energy storage, microgrids and other things too. There's one example there, the largest rooftop solar in Colorado, six megawatts. A little more context on the REC team. So we've been at distributed solar for about 20 years, done over 850 projects in 27 states, totaling about 600 megawatts. If we would talk about solutions, our solutionscape covers offsite generation, offsite wind and solar, along with utility scale power plants. And then we look at our distributed solutions. So behind the meter distributed generation, some energy efficiency, decarbonized fleets, and microgrids and resiliency. So most of my examples as we go forward will cover more about solar, but just know that the offering is broader and more holistic, and it has a pretty wide solution space in addition to offering financing and contracting for our solutions and ONM. One customer example is Home Depot. They're interested in cutting their emissions, meeting some of their environmental and sustainability goals, as well as providing cost savings. We see a lot of customer interest when you can match those two things together. So that's what we did with Home Depot. 
We did projects on about 10 stores for solar and storage, some rooftops, some carports, and, and provided both cost savings and environmental benefits to them. Another example is a project we worked on with Montgomery County. We worked with our partners to develop solar PV and integrate that in with a combined heat and power system and smart controls to not only provide cost savings, but also resiliency. In this case, the microgrid resiliency project with them. Most of our projects are done under PPA agreements with customers. This is where Duke will build, own, and operate the asset and handle the interconnection and permitting, as well as the upfront capital costs. These are long-term projects, commonly in the 20-25 year frame, sometimes less, sometimes more. And during this time, the customers paying us a fixed rate for power, and they get savings, and they can predict their future energy spending. And we own and operate the system and take the hassle of building and financing and running it and let our customers focus on their core businesses. That's what I wanted to share just to get us started. Thanks for having me and look forward to chatting more with the group. You bet. Thank you, Sam. And then finally, we have Ryan Childress, Director of Business Development for Dominion Energy, representing Align RNG. Ryan, how you doing? Great, Jay. Thanks for having me. Excited to be part of this panel. I do work for Dominion. We also put together a couple of joint ventures. I'll talk about that in a second around RNG. For those of you not familiar, we're a very large diversified energy company, utility company, over seven and a half million customers, and very focused right now, like all of our sister companies, on delivering more and more sustainable energy to our customers. So RNG, what is RNG? Some of you may know, some of you may not. RNG is actually a waste energy product. Anything that decomposes organically puts off biogas. That's landfills, hog dairy farms, food waste installations, and anywhere there's organic material. Our focus is on hog and dairy farms. There are four really important things to remember about RNG. The most important thing I'd want you to remember and take away from this is that it's actually a carbon negative fuel. By capturing and upgrading this RNG, you're actually taking more carbon out of the atmosphere than is put back in the atmosphere after it's used in a heating or electrical application. It also provides customers with clean energy, obviously. It diversifies across industries and agriculture, farmers, other agriculture companies can diversify the revenue stream, take part in the clean energy economy, and it actually improves manure management generally. It can, it can create other products, fertilizer, et cetera, that agriculture companies can then monetize and participate in the circular economy. So how does it work? You see a farm and the striped dome, if you will, is basically a covered lagoon or an anaerobic digester. The waste is captured there. There's no oxygen. The biogas emanating from that. It's then captured through a series of small pressure gathering lines. The biogas in its raw form is about 60 to 65 percent CH4 or methane, which is just natural gas, and the balance being mainly CO2 and then some other small trace other elements. Basically, what goes in must come out. So it's really just corn and water or grain and water. And then we have to upgrade the gas after it's collected, and then it's injected into either a transmission or a local distribution line distribute out for customer use. For Dominion's part, we've actually made what we believe is the largest RNG investment in the United States. And we've done that through two partnerships. I'm here representing our joint venture with Smithfield, which was the initial foray for us in the RNG field. We've committed $500 million to that, to develop RNG facilities across the country at Smithfield and their contract farm sites. And then a month or so ago, we announced the expansion of our partnership with Vanguard Renewables, which is our uh, development partner along with the Dairy Farmers of America to develop RNG facilities on dairy farms across the country. Altogether, that's more than a billion and a half of commitment over the next decade or so that we're going to be deploying across the country to develop these clean energy sites. 
this is a rendering of where we're currently developing projects. You know, you can see they're coast to coast and not necessarily in our utility footprint. Some are, as you can see in Virginia or North Carolina, where we do have assets, but really you're going to where the agricultural activity is. I'm sure we'll talk about this more, whether it's solar, microgrids, or offshore wind. Our customers and all of our stakeholders, frankly, want more sustainable and clean energy solutions. And RNG is a great way for us to decarbonize the gas distribution and transmission sector. Methane as a greenhouse gas is 25 times more intense. Methane reduction is key for the natural gas industry as we address climate change and decarbonize. The investments we'll make are equal to taking 1.2 million cars off the road annually. So big bang for your buck from a carbon reduction standpoint. The usage is it's a great complement to other renewables. Right, solar and wind, we're huge proponents of those. They're very important for our customers, very important for decarbonizing and working towards a net zero future. But natural gas is going to have to be part of that solution because we need energy 24 7. Natural gas is always there. Renewable natural gas is interchangeable with traditional gas. It's able to leverage that existing pipeline and infrastructure system we have to provide reliable source of energy 24 7, 365 across all sorts of different applications, whether it's power gen, home heating and cooking. Or or even in transportation for fuel switching, getting away from the carbon intensity of gasoline-based or diesel-based fuels. Appreciate the opportunity to be part of this. Look forward to answering some questions and having some conversation back and forth with the rest of the panel. So thanks, Jay. You bet. And Ryan, the first question is for you. I heard about Align for the first time in mid-2019. Bruce McKay did a panel for us. Personally, I spent several years in the oil field during the early days of the shale boom. Certainly, RNG has many benefits for its suppliers and for the offsets it creates compared to traditional natural gas. So who are your customers for this and why do they want RNG? Sure, it's a great question, Jay. The short answer is any natural gas customer is an RNG customer, whether they're an industrial customer that has thermal needs, that runs a process that might only work with natural gas. There are lots of those ship manufacturers, et cetera, that they're going to have to keep running boilers that rely heavily on natural gas, but also colleges and universities, cities that have net zero goals. We have to continue to find ways to decarbonize the natural gas system. And this is a great way to do it because it's carbon negative. It's interchangeable with any other source of natural gas. And so basically any customer, Jay, that has sustainability goals and needs natural gas, RNG is a great fit for them. Thank you. Sam, it's certainly possible for clients to buy clean energy in the form of renewable energy credits, but you're seeing more projects done on behalf of clients. I think you might have mentioned a few of them. What are some of the main drivers for your customers to develop their own projects as opposed to just buy clean energy? Yeah, I think a lot of them want to do both and want to have on-site generation that feeds their load directly and that their customers can see and touch and feel it feels like that's part of their goal a lot of the time. So I think what we see is tends to be a mix. If you have the space to put the on-site generation, a lot of customers will want to do that in the markets where it makes sense and maybe also look at recs. We have a lot of customers that have large rooftops, kind of parking lots, places with enough space for renewables. So that's one of the things I think is driving that is there's just the ability to host it on site. And then there's increasing interest in having the tangible assets on site as opposed to just the recs. And the falling prices of renewables, I think also make that more common, more likely the economics work in more places and, and more markets these days, perhaps than they did a few years ago. Yeah. Michael, on offshore wind, can you elaborate on what makes the East Coast, especially the Northeast, a prime area for offshore wind development and why 
Eversource, which is a utility, is investing in seeing these benefits in offshore wind. And maybe I might frame this with Dominion's a big player, you're a big player. But if you look at a lot of the people who've applied for these projects on the BOEM website, they're LLCs. You know, they're not all utilities. So can you take us through what's the advantage there? Sure. Let me start with why we see offshore wind being a good fit for the Northeast. It's really three factors. One is, especially off of the shores of New England, we have the best wind conditions in the U.S. Another important factor is, and this is huge, is that the waters are relatively shallow, pretty far out to sea. And that's important for at least foundation technology that we have today. And then finally, these conditions about good wind speeds and shallow waters are very close to very large population centers. In our case, close to New York City, close to Boston. Now, why Eversource? What drew us to offshore wind, in addition to all those, were we had been monitoring what was occurring in Europe, and we saw prices come down significantly because all the states have very significant clean energy goals, but we needed to do it in a cost-responsible manner. What really caught our eye was in the 2015 timeframe was we saw really dramatic drops in the price of offshore wind energy in Europe, and what was driving that were technological advances. So that caught our eye. And also we looked, quite frankly, the very aggressive clean energy goals that the states we serve had. And we believe in an all of the above type approach in all sources of clean energy. And we saw offshore wind as being a very natural complement to what was already underway and being done in a large scale. Yeah, that kind of resource next to the most populated parts of the country, I think it was probably an opportunity you couldn't refuse, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then just quickly, your LLC comment, I kind of suspect what you're getting at is you're seeing companies do these in partnerships. Now, Eversource and Ersted, we were the first ones to form a partnership in the the U.S., but the other developers, to a large extent, are taking a similar approach. And I can't necessarily speak to the other developers, but for us at Eversource, what was important to us was to focus on what our core competencies are. And we knew we were experts in siting and permitting and building onshore transmission facilities, but offshore, especially when it comes to the generation, something we have not done before. And so that's why we brought in a partner with Ersted. Very natural fit there. Yeah. There's a couple of questions here for just everybody. I wanted to find what some of the connective tissue was between the three of you. And maybe it's my imagination, but it seems like large utilities like yours are getting more comfortable working outside your regulated territories. Is this where all the new action is? I can start on that one. I wouldn't say it's where all the action is, but I think there's significant interest. What we saw is significant interest from our customers in kind of holistic solutions. So if you think about some of those customers like Home Depot that have national footprints and want to work with partners that can serve their national footprints. That's kind of one of the things that maybe drove our brand creation and launch. Other things we're seeing along those regards is customers are asking for things that are beyond one offering, maybe not just solar, but having partners that can supply distributed generation, RECs, resiliency, a holistic set of solutions to help them meet their goals because they have multifaceted goals also. So we see an opportunity in both places, but certainly there seems to be increasing demand for solutions outside of a footprint for us. Yeah, I'd follow up on what Sam's saying there. I completely agree. I mean, we're very focused on delivering sustainable, sustainable solutions through our regulated footprint, but it's also important to look at what customers want. And for us, one of the things we like about the RNG partnerships we've put together is that they allow us to sort of partner across industries, whether it's with the agriculture industry and the RNG example, and also to go out and help our customers decarbonize through fleets, for example. And RNG can be used, as I mentioned, as transportation fuel. And so that allows us to actually help solve some other solutions where folks are looking to decarbonize. I think it's important to have a balance between the large folks we have in our regulated footprint, but also look for unregulated opportunities to serve customers as well. 
Yeah, and I'll just touch on the offshore wind briefly, you know, consistent with Ryan and Sam's answer on this one. Eversource, when we first embarked on offshore wind, we were not seeking specifically to expand outside of our footprint. We were looking really to, to provide a solution to the states we serve and the customers and what they were asking for. Now that has led us not far out of footprint, but it led us into New York. But really what we were focused on was solving a problem. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to have all three of my panelists be from utilities is talk about the benefits of scale that you have. In the case of Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions, it was a reorganization last April, but that goal was to be a one-stop shop. I think you consolidate about three groups into that. Do all three of you see this as a model being replicated for everyone? More of a utility as a service, try to benefit from all the resources that you have. I'll take a shot at that, Jay. I think one of the things we always talk about, our duty to our customers, right, is affordable and reliable energy. And more and more now, customers need sustainable and cleaner energy. And so it's becoming a requirement of our customers. For our part, we're trying to be very, very focused on customer needs. So reliability is always key. Safety is always key. Affordability is key, but more and more sustainability is key. We have to listen to the customers, listen to stakeholders, and try to deliver that. And I think that's where all three of the things that we're involved in on this panel, that's probably to some extent what's driving that, that we do have to be more and more customer-centric as utility providers. Yeah, from an Eversource perspective, it's really the exact same place that Ryan and Dominion are. Really focused on the needs of the states we serve and the customers. And in the case of offshore wind, our focus was we knew we could do bringing in a partner where we needed additional expertise with the end goal inside of really making significant progress towards the renewable energy goals up here in the New England and Northeast area. I'll second that or third that as I think it's a response to customer desire and change. And customers are not asking for renewables at any price. They're asking for reliable, cost-effective renewables. Renewables. So it's just adding to the mix. So the supply is getting more diversified, let's say, and the ask is getting more diverse, but it doesn't come at a cost to anything. I think it's changing desires and needs and the market's evolving a little bit and the you know, utilities are trying to evolve to accommodate that. Yeah, all these seems like really good opportunities for all of you. The other thing I talked about at the very beginning before the introductions was all of you pulled from the outside to develop these projects here that you have. Duke bought REC Solar. Sam, I believe you came from REC. Dominion partnered with Smithfield for Align and Eversource working with Orsted. You were talking about that, Mike. Where else do you see yourselves pulling from the outside? And do you see this ramping up, bringing on these strategic partners to help with a lot of these new and exciting projects? I can start. You know, I don't think partnerships are necessarily new. They've been in our industry, well, certainly in the energy industry for a long time. I think you typically see them, and certainly in this case with Eversource and Ersted, you see them on the larger projects, but also in particular from an Eversource and Ersted perspective, kind of knowing where our areas of expertise were and partnering with another like-minded entity that can complement your areas of expertise. So it's really, to a large extent, partnerships are formed knowing where your expertise starts and where it stops. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think you added, I think you see it where there's growth opportunities. So new places where utility doesn't have that experience, they look for partners. I would say I expect more and more of that in the future, just kind of as we evolve and there's more opportunities, we'll look for more partners to deliver more solutions that our customers are asking for. But I think there's lots of exciting things on the horizon that you'll see more of that. But I agree also, I guess, with Michael that it's not new. There's probably always been partnerships in this space. It's just partnerships focused on different things these days. 
Yeah, I would agree. We've done partnerships for a long time, right? Even back when you know, our companies changed a lot over the years when we were in the EMP business or in, in the true traditional midstream business, we had partners there, the folks that had expertise running those sorts of assets for us. Smithfield, Vanguard, Dairy Farms America, they're experts in agriculture. We're experts in energy. So it's a really great fit. As Sam and Mike said, it's good business to find folks that know what they're doing and partner with them. I think that's what we've all done here is knowing what you don't know is a, a very important thing to do and find and the right partner that has that expertise and finding the right type of working relationships really important to execute good businesses. I'll try to get through as many as I can. Hey, Ryan, can RNG be used in fuel sales or do you need additional cleanup? How clean is RNG? It's interchangeable with tariff gas. The short answer is yes, it can be used in fuel sales because you have to meet tariff quality. Now, if you have a specific fuel cell application, I would say that has to go beyond, you know, with certain water requirements, maybe that's above and beyond, say, a certain pipeline tariff. Now, there's a possibility any natural gas would have to be dried out more or something. But the general answer, I would say, is no. We've run some fuel cells. We used to have one up in Connecticut. This gas would be to do that. And have any of the dairy farms use RNG to create their own microgrid? It's also a couple of farms together, like a network, right? Yeah, so our actual business model is networking these together. You talked about scale earlier. For us, that's important. We take these farms and network them together. There have been a few. I think there is one project, if I'm thinking right, in North Carolina that's done the microgrid with RNG and some solar and some other things. Some of the ag operators are getting more interested in solar too, right? They're landowners. They want to see if they can co-locate. We certainly have had those discussions. We have not done a microgrid per se, just on a farm level at this point, but I'll never say never because things have changed. If you'd asked me three years ago, if I would be running an RNG business, I'd have told you no, the world's changing pretty quick. Yeah. Mike, I got two for you. This reminds me a lot of the questions we would always see about nuclear, especially as they were building new nuclear plants. Offshore wind is huge in Europe, but in its infancy here, with very little experience, I think they're talking about the vendors. Is the US EPC and utility infrastructure making good time to be ready for this if offshore takes off? You've got tons of projects ready to go live by the mid-2020s. What about all the vendors that needs to be in place for that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. As I described earlier, we have the three projects we're developing. To a large extent, those three projects are being built in very similar timeframes. For certain scopes of work, we're actually procuring for all three projects simultaneously. But I guess the quick answer to the question is yes, it's a very mature industry in Europe and very new here, but we've made good progress, excellent progress, actually procuring all the major scopes of work for our project from the wind turbines to the foundations, etc. We are not encountering any significant obstacles, I would say, at this point to building and sourcing our projects. Now, I do believe as the market takes off and continues to mature here in the U.S., you'll see more of that manufacturing come here to, to the U.S. And the Dominion vessel is a great example of that. That ship is actually being built in Texas and being sourced with steel from several U.S. states. So I think over time, we'll see more of that come to the U.S. But in the meantime, you know, a combination of U.S. and European sourced equipment is how you get there. And then the other question for you, Mike, is given the recent tropical storm, Storm. I think they're talking about Henri. It was a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. For the record, it was a hurricane. 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 I was in Connecticut. Yes. <laughs> Good times. And the likelihood of more similar, stronger storms in the near future. What's the plan for maintenance on these turbines and how they deal with major storms? Just anything in the Atlantic, right? How they handle hurricanes? That's a great question. And certainly, that was one of the areas that we did a lot of research before we embarked on this venture with Ersted. So, the wind turbines are designed for the worst weather conditions you can imagine for the region that you're developing it in. And each turbine is specifically designed. We're in installing it. And same with foundations, same with the offshore substations. 
So they're designed to, to withstand the weather like we saw last weekend. And the key is to design. From a maintenance standpoint, you do your routine maintenance, but it really is designing the structural strength to withstand. And so there's eight turbines spinning right now in the U.S. offshore. Two of them are in Ryan's neck of the woods, and there's six up here, offshore Connecticut, offshore Block Island. And that's actually where Henri technically made landfall first with Block Island. And those turbines are all fine. Yeah, I think one of the things that I heard about when I was on the cruise with Dominion back in June was they can turn the turbines flush with the wind. They do. The blades are feathered, and if the wind speeds are strong enough, it's probably not the right technical term, but you let a pinwheel, you let it spin. <laughs> Sam, it's early days for Sustainable Solutions. It's only been around since April. Maybe we can just incorporate the three legacy companies that have been part of that. But the question I had was, what's the largest storage project you've delivered? Six megawatt hours is the largest delivered one. I think we've got one that's about 10 in the works and that's kind of distributed side. I think the utility scale ones are larger than that. That goes into one of the questions I had, which were utilities are traditionally risk averse and for good reason. For instance, no one wants to be the first to develop a billion dollar project, but that's not really the model anymore as you guys can give examples for. You're seeing smaller, more, I know this word's being bandied about a lot, distributed generation. Mike, with one of your guys, I even said, hey, define distributed generation. And I think the answer was basically five megs and below. Do you think there's more room for experimentation with these renewable ventures than something more capital heavy like small models? modular nuclear or carbon capture. And Mike, again, with you, offshore wind, I know you're doing 120 plus turbines, but it's kind of modular. So what do you all think about the opportunities to do a lot of different kinds of projects that maybe aren't the biggest projects in the whole world? To solve the climate crisis, to beat the state's clean energy goals, you need all of the above. And then the other thing too is you're not just solving for electrical load today. You gotta think about the future. And as we further electrify the economy, move to electric vehicles and other uses for electricity, demand's just gonna grow. I think we need to focus on developing all these technologies. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we think it's changing. We're having to be more agile. We're even looking at things like hydrogen, right? I think hydrogen, green hydrogen, or blue hydrogen, it's going to play a role. I think it's still early. I think there's a lot of technical feasibility that needs to be figured out how it behaves in the pipeline system. But Mike's absolutely right. It's going to be a portfolio approach to address the clean energy standards uh, all the stakeholders we're working with or demanding. And frankly, as the energy mix changes, we're going to keep looking at new technologies, new investment opportunities, which will have to start smaller, right? We'll have to do pilot projects and those sorts of things to figure out what works and what's the right way to deploy then larger capital to solve some of these problems. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess the two things a lot of that is what we see is you get, you know, really large economies of scale, maybe like you're mentioning with large projects, but the smaller distributed projects get more like economies of scale with manufacturing, right? So you manufacture solar panels at scale, or you manufacture batteries at scale and you distribute them. But we're seeing more and more as historically we did pretty much just solar projects and we see a lot more batteries with our solar coupled with solar, those make a lot more economic sense and a lot more interest and demand for resiliency. So we see innovation, maybe to your point of adding on to the distributed generation, but coupling the solar with other newer technologies, you know, batteries, microgrids, and maybe hybrid systems too, where you have a mix of technologies and you can experiment a little bit more at that kind of hybridization and small scale. All right, guys, I'll do two more questions here. This one's a little dicey, but we'll see how you want to go at it. It's clear the public wants more renewables and clean energy, and that's what all of your companies are promoting to the public. It's good PR. But does that create a challenge when it comes to reliability? You know, do you think that the public fully understands intermittency and the need to have resiliency and a balanced portfolio? Because renewables has all these benefits and everything, but it can be intermittent at times. How do you think that should be balanced, that messaging? I'll take a shot at that first. I think it's interesting, you know, 
And one of the questions was, are offshore wind farms resilient to storms? Our job as utilities is to make sure that they are because reliability is absolutely the bedrock of what we do. One of the things we always talk about at Dominion is when you get up in the morning and flip the light switch, you don't think of all the man hours and woman hours and all the investment that had to happen to make the lights come on. You just expect it to happen, right? We all take it for granted. And so I think reliable energy is just a fact of life. That's always going to be first in whatever we do, but we are going to have to be more sustainable. We are going to have to find carbon reduction tools, but reliability is never going away. I don't know about Sam or Mike, the calls we get are when the power is off, right? They're much more, that's when people are calling you immediately, right? And our neighbors, right? If they know you work at Eversource or Duke or Dominion Energy and your lights are off, they're coming over and knock on your door saying, when are the lights going to be back on? So I think reliability is absolutely key. I think it's key. I don't think there's a trade-off there. I think you can deliver both. I think you can deliver large amounts of renewables and reliability at the same time. It's just a matter of doing it correctly, kind of like we've been talking about and designing correctly and planning and doing all the things you need to balance out intermittency in your power system. And, and there's a lot of ways to approach that. And there's a lot of proven solutions for that. So it's implementing those correctly, but I don't see a conflict there. I can't say any better than Sam and Ryan. I mean, you don't want customers to understand a thing about intermittency. You just want the power to be on on a reliable basis. As Ryan said, you want the switch to work in the morning and that's it. So that challenge is on us and on the grid operators to make sure that happens. And then finally, last question for everybody. This is very high level. What do your projects say about the evolving model of the American utility? I think the utility industry is always evolving. There's really no such thing as a sleepy utility. Energy policy, what customers expect is always evolving in the context of reliability, in context of affordability, or now what we've been talking about is sustainability, where the energy comes from. And I think we've always been evolving. And utilities are in a unique spot in that we know the communities we serve. We know what's important to our customers. We're here. We're kind of the hometown team, if you will. We're just in a position where we really understand what it is they expect around their power. If you look back over history, we're, we're constantly evolving and reinventing. I think that's well said, Mike. We've got to and we talked about it a lot. The, the reason we're working on the things we're working on this panel were because all of our stakeholders are looking for it. But we have to continue to evolve. And I think Mike said it well, we always have been, right? We've changed a lot. I mean, you look at the amount of coal generation and the way that's changed because of demands on that. And you don't see reliability changes due to that. And Sam's right. There doesn't have to be a trade-off. We work every day constantly to figure out how we push technology to deliver more sustainable solutions, but do it in a cost-effective, reliable way. And I think that's why we probably all get up in the morning and enjoy our jobs and work for the companies that we work for. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate it. This is absolutely wonderful. And I appreciate everyone's insights on all this and sharing with everybody your projects that you're working on. And I'm going to pitch it back to you. How is that? That was my panel on renewable energy with Michael Osseri from Eversource Energy, Sam Booth from Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions, and Ryan Childress from Dominion Energy representing Align RNG. I want to thank my panelists for their time as well as Rod Walton and the team at PowerGen for giving us this platform. You can find plenty of pictures and the presentations for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram and Parler at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 122. Be sure to join us next week when we learn how the best way to inspect power plants is to stick a robot on them. Literally. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.